You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. All right, so good morning, everybody. A few years ago, um, I had the opportunity to take a trip to China. Uh, I went with Kathy, I went with my grandmother, and also with my uncle. Uh, my grandmother wanted to visit China, her homeland, uh, one final time, she said, before she got just too old to travel that far again. So we went on this trip, and it was a wonderful trip. But it started off on a very kind of odd note, and that's because uh, when when we go to China, um, yes, my my grandmother can speak Chinese, um, and you know she knows of of different places in China. But um, most of us, you know, we want to visit you know the big places, the touristy places, and stuff like that. So what most people do is they hire a tour guide. And so when we get off uh, from the airport, we you know, go through customs, all that kind of stuff, get our luggage. We then are waiting for a tour guide. And I see a couple tour guides walking up to different people. I see one walking towards us. All right, this must be us. I walk up to him, you know, say, hey, are you our tour guide? And out of his mouth comes not English, but bienvenidos a China. Me, me llamo Pedro y uh, uh, listas para tu viaje? I'm like... <laughs> I was not ready for Spanish. I can speak solo un poquito español, but I was not ready for that. And when I speak Spanish, I have to like switch into Spanish mode because I, I have to kind of like translate between English and Spanish in my mind because I'm not fluent in it. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, I was not expecting this. Hang on a minute, and like go into Spanish mode. And I'm like, uh, mi familia no habla uh, no hablamos español. Like, no, no español, no, like. No son de Costa Rica? Like, no, we are not from Costa Rica. <laughs> Somos de Estados Unidos. Soy americano. Like, oh. And then he gets all flustered because he wasn't expecting that. And so he has to break out his English. And he's like, oh, oh, uh, uh, my English not so good. Uh, pero mi español es perfecto. It's like, oh, but like we're just totally at this moment of just what just happened. And he goes back and you know, he made some sort of mistake. He was the tour guide for a Costa Rican family. He found them. He sent the English-speaking one to us. And it was like, okay, now now we're now we're back in the same the same page here. But when you come across something that's completely unexpected, like you go in thinking everything's going to be all right, everything's going to be fine, and then it happens a completely different way just knocks you off your feet, right? You get thrown off your game for a little while and kind of alters your reality. And we're in this Christmas season, and Christmas for us, I think, is it's so familiar, right? We have our traditions, we have our family, we have the food, we have the, the, the Christmas story, and it's all very familiar. But sometimes when you think about it that way, you kind of lose what's actually going on. And Christmas, the Christmas story, actually has a lot of unexpected things. And it is actually a story of God breaking into human reality in a very radical and almost like shocking way. And I think sometimes we have to reread the Christmas story. And I know what you're thinking, just like Jody mentioned, here I am, Brett's here to ruin Christmas again. <laughs> because if you've, been at, if you've been at our church for under a year, or you missed my Christmas time message last year, I have now earned the reputation of the ruiner of Christmas. Um, I am the Grinch, yes, I'm the Grinch, I am, I am the humbug, um, okay, what? <laughs> 
Don't worry, I'm not going to go over any big history lesson about winter solstice and pagan holidays and why the phrase Jesus is the reason for the season is kind of only half true. Um, I'm not going to ruin it too much. Okay? Um, yeah, I, okay. God gave me this, like, new revelation for this message this morning in the shower, as he often does. And then I just went on, like, this quick reading spree of, like, of the Christmas story and how we're probably reading a lot of our own culture into it and it's probably not, didn't exactly happen the way we kind of think of it and I went to this rabbit hole of scholarship and reading and uh, it, it got messy so but don't worry I'm not going to go over too much of that so um, but <laughs> as you'll hear many Christians complain about this time of year uh, Christmas has taken on a different meaning for people across America across the world okay it is Okay, it's not, not really about Jesus for a lot of people. However, I would say in general, there's still this something that we all share, which is this warm and fuzzy kind of magical feeling that Christmas takes on. And that's, that's fine, you know, right? The movies show this bygone era of, of window shopping in front of department stores, if department stores didn't go out of business. Um, and we have these pictures of, you know, people dressed up on Christmas morning in red and green onesie pajamas with it snowing outside, which makes no sense to us in Southern California. But we still dress that way because 62 degrees to us is cold. And we're gathered around that open fire, which seems extremely dangerous if you've got pets or kids. And you're roasting chestnuts. I don't think anyone does that. And you're all cozied up around the dinner table, catching up and hoping that no one brings up politics, except for that one dude who totally wants to bring up politics. <laughs> We've created these family-friendly mascots in Santa Claus and a snowman come to life through a magic hat, a reindeer with a glow-in-the-dark nose, and some elf that has a thing for hiding on shelves. And of course, we have the peaceful baby Jesus. Silent night, holy night, sweet baby Jesus. Lying peacefully on a bed of hay, Joseph and Mary praying over him while some horses and sheep look on. All right, we have this peaceful feeling about Christmas, the family, the food, the unity, the togetherness, the love. And of course, that's fine. You thought I was going to like say something about that, right? No, that's, that's fine. Okay? That is a good thing. Christmas can and should bring the warm and fuzzies because there is a warm and fuzzy feeling that comes because of God's love in Jesus. And that is amazing. And even humbugs like me need to be broken into that magic sometimes and we have to hold on to some of that time. Okay? We need that. We do need that. But, you knew it was coming, but that's not all it is. That's not all it is. It's not just the warm and fuzzy family thing. Because, yes, if we read the Christmas story for what it is, it is really a stark reminder of the inbreaking of God into our world. Christmas is not just about this cool little baby Jesus. It's not about that. This is God enacting his rescue plan for humanity. This is George Washington going against the Hessians and turning the tide in the Revolutionary War. This is the Allied forces storming the beach at Normandy. This is Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, and Chewbacca going into cell block AA-23 to rescue Princess Leia from the Death Star. This is God launching into his rescue mission. God breaking into our world doing something not really magical Christmassy, but really something quite drastic, head-turning, radical. Listen first to the coming of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that John actually does not include a birth story of Jesus, but instead it shows the Word of God, Jesus, 
and his mission coming into the world, which I think is equally, if not more important. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life. The life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So in the Word of God, when Jesus comes into the world, He brings with Him what? Life and the light. And this light cuts through the darkness. When you are in a dark room and you suddenly turn on the light, you have this moment of, ah, gosh, it's bright, right? And that's what happened. The world was dark. And then all of a sudden, there is light. So when the word comes, there is a fundamental change in reality. God breaking into reality. John 1, 12-14. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. And so again, here we have a fundamental shift. Jesus gave us the opportunity to become children of God. Before, that was not our identity. Jody talked about last week that we have a change in citizenship when we follow Jesus. Everything changes. We become a child of God, able to live in God's kingdom, part of the new creation, part of God's family. There's a fundamental heart transformation and change that comes with Jesus. This is the mission of God, started in the birth story of Jesus. And we need to keep this in mind when we read the all-too-familiar scriptures. We sometimes get so comfortable in the familiarity, the comfort, the softness of the story, that it becomes, honestly, sometimes a little bit sterile and can lose its meaning. And we forget that the tale is actually thick with drama, intrigue, and that God is launching into his rescue mission. So when we pull back the camera from Christmas, we pull away from the department store windows, the milk and cookies, and the cute little precious moments and nativity scenes that may not be historically accurate, there is, of course, this peace and love and the feels in the Christmas story. But it is also a bit of a harrowing tale when we place it in the larger biblical context of what's going on. We see God moving in a new and unexpected, almost shocking way. So first, let's, take a, let's remember this story, right? We have the biblical world. Especially this world was not really a cozy and warm environment, okay? This is not snowy, giant Christmas tree, Jack Frost nipping at your nose, meat under the mistletoe, New York City, right? Like all the movies show. They're all in New York City. Everything's in New York, okay? This is not what it is. This is actually really a kind of tough world. It's the real world stuff, okay? Jesus' birth was during a time when Israel was at its weakest, its lowest, a far cry from its heyday of King David, where it was once an era superpower. Instead, now it is a vassal state, conquered and reconquered four times over by different empires, and of course now it's under the Roman Empire. And there is a Jewish district, okay, uh, based in Jerusalem, and the ruler of that area was the evil King Herod. We learned about a little bit about him last week, a power-hungry, paranoid puppet for the Roman Emperor, the Roman Emperor, of course, who proclaimed himself as a god amongst the pantheon of Greek and Roman gods. 
So the setting for Israel, the Israelite narrative is not very easy. It's a fairly abrasive situation. There's little hope for them, little hope for God's ways, and little hope for his kingdom to be realized. This was the world that God was stepping into. This was the world that Jesus was being born into, a world of rife with struggle, human pride, slavery, sin. This is what Jesus is stepping into. That's the setting. Okay? Now, a lot of us have this idea that between the Old Testament and New Testament, there's what's called the dark times, or God did not speak. Now, in truth, I cannot honestly say that God, like, never spoke to anyone during this time, like he never had any contact whatsoever. Um, but, but we... We do, have, we do have, like, scriptures that come from this time, but it's not scripture that we consider part of the biblical canon, okay? There are Jewish books that we consider what's called the Apocrypha, okay? We do not consider them as God's word. And so, in terms of God's narrative, okay, in terms of God's story in the Bible, there is this silent time where God is not speaking, okay? So, again, I can't say that he never had any contact with people whatsoever, but there was basically this moment, this 400-year period of biblical silence. And now God is ready to break in. Now God is ready to break the silence and boom, come to our rescue. So this is a very big deal when he enacts his rescue plan. And so to prepare for his big move, God sends first angels, right? Supernatural agents and messengers. Now we need to erase our idea of angels being like blonde women in white robes coming down playing harps. Like, oh, hello, you know, we're going to, we're going to just bless you with all this, you know, whatever. It's not like that, okay? Instead, it reads like this. Okay? There, are, there are several angelic encounters. Uh, first we read in John the Baptist, who is um, uh, Jesus' cousin, right? We read in John the Baptist's story that uh, when, when they're announcing the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus, an angel appears to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, okay? And it says this, Then there appeared to Zechariah an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. Okay, so it's not this harpy angel kind of thing. There was terror. It was an absolutely terrifying experience. And then when Mary uh, encountered the angel, okay, how did she respond? It wasn't cool, angel, awesome. It was, but she was much perplexed, okay? And another word for, the Greek word for perplexed is disturbed and distressed and confused. Okay, so this is a very jarring experience. And then, of course, when the shepherds encountered the angel, then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. <laughs> this was a very big thing. This was huge. This was scary. This was God breaking into reality. Okay? This is, it, it's not, it's not all the time, this sleepy little Jesus story. Okay? This is big. And we don't read about this in the text because it's a little, probably too much detail, but Mary gave birth and birth is a pretty big deal, a very jarring experience. Let me check my notes. Something very painful that I, as a man, will never understand. <laughs> I don't know if you've grown up with the tradition that the birth of Jesus was painless, okay? That's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible, okay? Um, as far as I know, it was probably a regular old birth, and uh, they didn't have medicine back then. 
And so there was probably a lot of pain and screaming involved. And it was, yeah, it's a birth. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe Luke was just like, no, nah, I'm not going to, or maybe Luke was like, yes, I want to include that. And his wife was like, no, you don't know anything about it. You're not going to write it. Okay. <laughs> but I'm a doctor, Luke says. No, you don't know anything about it. Okay. In my mind, it's, pretty, it's a pretty painful experience giving birth. Okay. And also, it's a baby. Babies, I've had two of them, babies generally disrupt life. <laughs> they change your world. Everything changed for Mary and Joseph when baby Jesus arrived, okay? And, and I don't think that it was really a silent night, holy night. I mean, it was a holy night for sure, but I don't know about silent because babies cry. And I'm pretty sure baby Jesus cried. I don't think he was like sitting there with the mind of Jesus, like adult Jesus, like, nah, that's cool. I'll, I'll give mom and dad a break. They won't like that. Let's, let's let them get some sleep. I'm pretty sure he was still a baby and he was still crying. And look, he was sinless, right? We know that Jesus was sinless. Okay. A baby crying is not a sin. No matter how much you may think that at 3 a.m. But it, it's not a sin. Okay. I think that Jesus, you know, as a kid, was still a kid. And that can be a little disruptive to life. And that's part of, part of the story. And like case in point, you know, when Jesus was, uh, visiting, was, was visiting as a kid to Jerusalem, he, what, he stayed in the temple to learn with the teachers. And then his parents go off in their caravan back home, and they don't realize he's missing for three days. Three days. It's like, what? And then they come all the way back to look for him. And, you know, Mary's pretty livid. Like, how could you do this to us? You know, and, and I just imagine Joseph coming up to him like, Jesus. Do you know what you've done to your mother? Like, Jesus, you are not living up to the reputation that God said you would have. He said you would be the Emmanuel, God with us. You were not with us, <laughs> Jesus. So he said, Jesus caused maybe a little bit of trouble. I don't know. Okay, so kids can be a little disruptive. Okay, so this is a little bit of a jarring story, too. And not only that, there's a straight-up villain in the Christmas story. Okay, we already read a little about him, Herod. Matthew 2, 13-18. Now after they had left, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. All right, so... Jesus, you're all born. Okay, it's going to be nice and cozy. Nope, you got to run from this crazy guy. Okay? And they remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children and in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time he had learned from the wise men. Christmas. <laughs> this does not sound like the Christmas story that we all like to remember. We don't talk about this part because it's really ugly. You got this world atrocity by this crazy despot ruler. One might think that Jesus' birth, you know, God is like, no, let's make everything nice and simple for you. Go nice and smooth. But no, no, this is the real world. This is the real world. This is the corrupt and evil, dark, fearful world that we live in today, just playing out in different circumstances. The whole setting of Christmas kind of feels like something out of a horror thriller movie sometimes. But man, is it a good thing that that crazy world had a crazy God 
who is willing to redeem it, who is willing to rescue it. Now, I think there's a comfort in this, to know that this setting was crazy because our world can be crazy too. This is the real world. And so when you think about God breaking in to this time, to this life, willing to go to that ugliness, we can have the reassurance that God wants to meet us in our real world too. That he wants to meet us in our real life situations, the ugliness, the darkness, the pain, the struggles. Sometimes we want to keep him away from that because we don't want to expose that to him. We don't want to feel vulnerable. But God is unafraid of that. God is unafraid to step into that real world and God is unafraid to step into our real world. And if God would send his son into that, I can have the reassurance that God will send his son to us in whatever we are going through as well. But when he does that, we have to be ready for an adjustment. We have to be ready for God to switch some stuff around. And that's exactly what he does. In fact, he had to do it even to the people who were willing to listen to him. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of the Messiah, Jesus... Uh, Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. That's also a pretty uh, crazy situation for Joseph. You can imagine his wife, or his betrothed, uh, winds up pregnant. He knows he didn't do it. It wasn't him. What is he going to do about this? What is he going to do? He has to think of a plan. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. All right. Now, Joseph is a righteous guy. He knows his stuff, and he's compassionate, and he's pretty loving. He comes up with a pretty good human solution. Like, okay, we're just going to kind of say, okay, we're going to cut off, we're going to call off the wedding. You go your way, have your baby. I'm going to go my way. Let's not expose you to any public disgrace. You know, he could have her stoned for this. You know, he could have. But no. He says, okay, in my wisdom, in what I think God would want me to do, let's do this. Pretty good solution. He's using his human wisdom. It's pretty good. But, of course, he doesn't yet see the overall plan of God. He doesn't see God's wisdom yet. Okay, verse 20. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, apparently maybe not as scary this time, but, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. And so God's wisdom needed to change Joseph. He had a pretty good solution. He was pretty wise. But God's wisdom was better. And God needed to break in, in a dream right here, and make an adjustment in him. When we read about Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, he didn't believe the prophecy that was told him about uh, his son, that that, uh, his, his wife, who was up there in age, would have a son, even though he knew the text about Abraham and Sarah. He didn't. And because of this, God made him go mute for months until John the Baptist was born. But after that, when he was allowed to speak again, overflowing with praise. At first, with scoffing and laughter, 
Then God has to make an adjustment. And then comes praise. And Mary herself, whose obedience brings about the birth of Christ, had a moment of disbelief, and she too needed an adjustment from the Lord. The Christmas birth narrative of Jesus is filled with people who doubted, who needed God's correction. It's filled with political intrigue and flat-out murder, and supernatural beings constantly terrifying people. It's a crazy, messed-up world that this story takes place in, and humanity needed rescue. God steps in to our reality, steps in, and that can be a little bit jarring at first. But then we have the peaceful baby Jesus, and God also, and God takes that and makes an adjustment. That's what this story can have. But let's take a step back a little bit again, because this is not how I would have done it, you know, in my wisdom. Using human wisdom, sending a baby Jesus, it seems like a very reckless move, right? It's, it's not what we would do. You ever, like, drink something, and you think it's one thing, and then it turns out to be another thing? Like, let's say you're drinking coffee, and, and it turns out to be Coke. You're like, like, that's not what I was expecting, right? Or, okay, when I order takeout, okay, when I order takeout, and they ask me, oh, can I have a name for the takeout? I say, my name is Brett. I am not... What do you expect when you see a Brett? <laughs> um, because my name literally means from Britain. It is by definition the whitest name possible. Um, and, and you know, you, you kind of think of the word, the name Brett, and it's like, yeah, it's a white guy. And so when I walk in to pick up my food, they're like, what? 20% of the time, it's like, who, who is he? Who are you? Okay. When, when something happens, again, when you do, and you don't expect it, it's, we're like, wait, this is crazy. And this is crazy, God. Why are you sending a baby as your savior? Why are you sending this baby? This makes no sense. Okay? I, I've got a better idea. Okay? I have a much better idea. Uh, I, I have the privilege of going to uh, Marvel and Disney premieres. And uh, part of the fun of that is that you get to kind of you know, rub elbows with these celebrities, with the actors and the directors. And so when they come... They don't just like park in the parking structures. No, no. They've blocked out Hollywood Boulevard, and all the red carpet's laid out, and then these black escalades with tinted windows come driving up. And, and whenever you see them, it's like, okay, who's going to show up? And boom, the door opens. Oh my gosh, it's Chris Hemsworth. Oh, it's Chris Evans. Oh, it's Elizabeth Olsen. Oh my gosh, it's all these people. And they're, they're famous, and they, and they are wearing these immaculate suits and dresses, and there's cameras everywhere, and there's people in black suits and sunglasses as bodyguards. That's what we need to do, God. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do this in the 21st century where we have, oh yeah, where we have the internet, okay? God, we can have everyone take out their phones when Jesus arrives, make this go viral, hashtag it with everything, and we will make, everyone will know. This will be so obvious. Everyone will see it. But no, you chose this baby. This baby in a time when Israelite, the Israelite people are at their lowest, this is Crazy, why didn't God make it more obvious? This is God's plan? It's not what we would expect. But maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point. Because God is saying, it's not about your wisdom. It's not about your ways. It's about my ways. Let's bring it back to me. Not the human ways. One of the most important revelations we as humans can make is the realization that we don't have it all together, that God does. No matter how good we are, no matter how smart or clever we think we are, no matter how strong we are, no matter how powerful we are, 
God's ways are always higher. And we have to realize that we cannot save ourselves. It is only he that can save us. And if Jesus is the only way made by God for salvation, is it little wonder that Jesus' birth story is so utterly unconventional and contrary to human wisdom that he would send this baby? Because basically humans can't take any credit for this beyond their obedience to God. That's it. That's it. It was obey God in the story. The rest is him. When Joseph and Mary and Zechariah had an encounter with the divine, each had their foundations, their assumptions, their culture, even their faith challenged and subsequently grown. After the initial freak out of God's angels breaking in, they had to make an adjustment back to God. Utter and complete reliance on God. The Christmas story is here to help redefine, recalibrate, and reset not just the course of human history, which it did, but it brings us as a people back into alignment with God. And sometimes God has to do that to us, to have our very foundations rocked to the core. God is in the business of restoration. And when you need to restore a building, when you need to build something new in its place, and there's like there's this debris or there's like remnants of the old building, sometimes you've got to knock it all down to start over. I think that's what God is doing in the Christmas story. Knocking over the foundations of a fallen world so that he can build a new one, his kingdom. God is circumventing our human wisdom in favor of his own. We can realign our alliance back to him. That's what God wants. And perhaps that's why Jesus starts as a baby. Because babies are completely reliant on their parents. Jesus, a powerless baby, born into poverty, but into a family that obeyed the Lord. This would be the instrument of eternal life in the face of death. Jesus' entire life reflects this. He had to study in the temple. He relied on prayer. He had solitude with God during his ministry. He had a complete reliance on God to go to that cross. His entire life was characterized by a complete and utter reliance on God. What better symbol than a baby who is completely powerless but has to rely on his parents? What a symbol. This is what Christmas has. It goes completely against the grain of human nature and human thinking. God's ways and wisdom over man's. Jesus is always, always subverting our expectations. This is what he's all about. We can't put him in a little box. The Israelites expected a political restoration of their nation. But no, Jesus came back not for that. He didn't come back to have political power or authority using the force of human government to control people. That's not what he was about, which disappointed a lot of the Jewish revolutionaries and maybe some American 21st century Christians too. But this is not what Jesus was about. He was about, first and foremost, the kingdom of God. A spiritual kingdom represented by his church. And speaking of the church, you would think he would call the best and brightest. Like, right? I would do that. I would call the best scholars, the brightest students, the best bodyguards, the finest speakers, but instead, Jesus chooses 12 ordinary men, fishermen, tax collectors, nobodies, who argued and had rivalries, had sin in their hearts. And eventually Paul, the murderer of Christians, former prostitutes, a Roman centurion, and women and children who in those days were not looked on very highly. 
God's wisdom is always higher than ours. God is always subverting our expectations. God chose to pour into these people and start the movement of the gospel in the world. And it flies in the face of our celebrity Christian culture that we have today. James 4.6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Psalm 138.6, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he perceives from far away. It's very different from, I think, the world that we've created. God knocks us down in our pride, our accomplishments, because it's all about what he's doing. We need to rely on his wisdom, place our trust in him, not who the world considers important. And I will admit, I think Jesus did choose the right people, the right people. He did, but that was in his wisdom. But I think also, you know, they, they, they tried. They really tried. I, I love Peter. Um, you know, Peter had to learn about, he had to have this encounter with, with Jesus, and he had to make a lot of adjustments. Okay? But I think he actually was really trying, not just in his theology, not just eventually become a good teacher and a pastor, but he was also trying to be a good bodyguard. Okay? We have to remember, he was pretty skilled with that sword, right? right? He was pretty skilled with that sword, because when, when, the, when the Roman guard comes to arrest Jesus, he takes out a sword to defend Jesus. You are not taking my buddy to the cross. You're not doing that. Okay? And he takes out a sword, and he whips, and he slices off that, that soldier's ear. That's pretty expert swordsmanship, to be that accurate. And of course, Jesus, in his wisdom, he knows he has to go to the cross. He has to go to the cross. And in compassion, he goes and heals that soldier's ear. And that is where we get our next Christian holiday. Happy New Year. Anyways, <laughs> the birth of Jesus looks completely contrary to what we would think. It's so far beyond human power and wisdom. That is precisely what makes it so profound. It sweeps us off our feet, tears down our idols, challenges our assumptions, and points us back to God. It is God daring to confront and yet redeem his beloved creation that has gone astray. And that includes you and me. It is God's love recklessly and lavishly poured out to us in the miracle of Jesus. Breaking into our reality to flip everything upside down. To break the world of its sinful patterns, bringing restoration, redemption, and healing. This is why Jesus was born and his ministry enacted and his resurrection won. The birth of Christ represents the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God making his play for the souls of humanity. God just isn't passing out presents on Christmas. He's shattering the windows of our human fortresses that we've built up. This is a wild God. A determined God, an uncontrollable God, unpredictable God. Second Chronicles 2.6, King Solomon declares, But who is able to build him a house, since heaven, even highest heaven, cannot contain him? But the truth is we sometimes try to contain him. We unfortunately have to admit to ourselves that we do try to contain God. Sometimes we don't like having a God who is like this, who is determined to shake us from our slumber, determined to cut us to the heart, desiring to meet us intimately in our darkest places so that he can shine light into them and set us free. We don't like to face that. And sometimes even, and especially if we've been following Jesus for a long time, we sometimes get into this comfortable place with God. 
They go, no, no, I, I know the story. I know it. I know my scriptures. I've been doing this a long time. I don't need God to adjust me anymore. No, it's okay. It's, I, I call it baby Jesus syndrome. Towards like, oh, it's, it's fine. Like, I know the story. I know baby Jesus. It's okay. I'm good. Sometimes we just like to keep Jesus in that little crib. We wish we could keep Jesus in a nice little box, easy to assimilate, digest, keep him where, you know, I can take him out when I need him. It's on my terms. We don't want Jesus breaking into life, smashing his way into our reality. We want easy Jesus, shoehorn him into my busy life, fit him into a few rote prayers and, you know, before eating and before night. Convenient Jesus, only around the holidays Jesus. Just Sunday, Jesus. Today's world wants a sterile Jesus, a controllable Jesus, a merely political Jesus who can fit neatly into a platform or a movement. We want a Jesus, you know, we, 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 we think we know Jesus because we've memorized scripture. We can say it, but do we live it? We can know about Jesus without actually knowing Jesus. We want a Jesus who will do our bidding, answer a few prayers for us, to be our friend, Maybe be, you know, a little like correction is fine, you know, in that personal growth sort of way. The sort of Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, kind of Jesus that we read on our calendars of a beautiful snow-capped mountains by a lake. And we look at that calendar when, when we, we feel like life is a little out of control. Like, oh yes, I do know Jesus there. And we think about that for like five minutes and then we just keep doing what we were doing. That type of Jesus. Jesus we can put away when he's no longer convenient, when he wants to challenge us. I think of grandparents sometimes, like, and, and my mom's in the room, who's a grandparent to, uh, to uh, my kids, and I don't think she's like this, but there's a stereotype of grandparents that, like, you know, you play with the kids all day, and you have lots of fun, you spoil them rotten, and then they get tired by the end of the day, and they get a little antsy and cranky, and it's okay, because you can give them right back to their parents. But sometimes we do that with Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you're full of love. You're, you're full of grace, full of compassion. This is awesome. I love you, Jesus. Oh, you want to challenge me? Well, off you go. Back in the crib. Later. Sometimes we do that with Jesus. Sometimes we're hiding from Jesus. I like that Jesus who just stays there. I can handle him. Jesus is not all up in my business. Isn't challenging me. Isn't breaking into my reality. I'm comfortable. Tame, controllable baby Jesus lying in a manger. We're afraid to be challenged sometimes. We're happy with the status quo. We're afraid of the cost. We're afraid of how life might change. We might be protecting something that God actually wants to break into. So we keep Jesus at arm's length. And Mary wrapped him in that swaddling cloth. And we try to definitely keep him in there. We swaddle that baby. You stay in there. But like any baby, eventually, they want to break free. And Jesus will not be held down. God is not about remaining comfortable. God isn't interested in just being a God of the periphery. God wants to be the center. And to do that, sometimes he has to break in, often in ways we do not want, often in ways we do not expect. God did not do all he did 2,000 years ago for us to stay comfortable. Because it would be more comfortable for us to just say, I'm comfortable in my sin, my personality, my negative patterns, because that's just the way I am. That's just the way God made me. Rather than letting Jesus actually break in and heal me and grow me. Where I could actually have true reliance on God rather than everything I'm feeling. 
It'd be more comfortable just to isolate myself and distance myself from people rather than let God break into my loneliness and despair. Help me see that there are actually people that care and actually that he cares. It'd be easier to keep chasing that American dream life, bury myself in activity, keep trying to fill that spiritual hole with other things, constantly using as an excuse to avoid kingdom life rather than letting God break in, fill my soul with satisfying intimacy and love. It'd be easier to yell at people online that I disagree with, bully and insult them and tear them down and gossip about them with others in my insecurity and need to be right rather than let God break in and give me peace and love and wisdom to actually learn how to love and witness to people. It would be easier to just be comfortable. Sorry, it would be more comfortable to lament that we don't have prayer and Bibles in school rather than teach my kids to actually be light on their campuses. It'd be easier to just vote and force others to look like the kingdom or at least not do things not of the kingdom but I actually don't want to spend time with him. And maybe I could actually let God instead break in and teach me how to love. It'd be more comfortable to just let the church teach my kids faith rather than embrace the God-given identity as a parent and show my kids how to walk with Jesus. It'd be more comfortable to just let the pastors talk about Jesus to my friends and family. It's their job rather than grow and learn in boldness how to share with the people around me. There's always something we could be more comfortable in. There's always something we just like the status quo in. And it would have been easier for God to just leave us alone. It would have been easier for God to just, I don't know, go to another planet. Start creation over, over there. It would have been easier for God just to wipe us out. But no. God chose the less comfortable path. In God's love... And in God's compassion, God chose to rescue us. He started out on Christmas. He didn't remain comfortable. Will we allow him to break into our lives, into our hidden places, into our pain, into our sin, into our holdups, into our doubts, into our laziness, into our pride? Will we allow him to break into our story? Are we willing to meet him face to face? Not just peaceful baby Jesus, but Jesus in his entirety, who taught us how to truly rely on God. That started with Christmas. That starts with this story. God dares us to ask, where do I need you, God, to break in? Where do I need to let you just let loose and be reckless for us? Where do I need you, God, to do something drastic in me? So that I can be whole again. So that my relationships can be unified again. So that my life can have joy again. So that I can be full of love, just like you. So that that picture of Christmas, where we are all gathered around in unity, can actually be true. Would you close your eyes with me? God, you did something incredible 2,000 years ago in sending Jesus to us. 
But God, you didn't want to just give us this story that we can tell once a year. You wanted to break in. You wanted to change things. You wanted us to turn back to you. So God, I pray for myself, for all of us, that we would open up our hearts to you. That we'd be able to see what you are doing. That we'd be able to accept, God, that your ways are higher. And God, I pray for anyone here this morning that they know there is a place in their life that they desperately need you to break in. Their frozen heart needs a thaw. They've put up a wall that needs to be knocked down. God, I pray, Lord, that in your power, in your wisdom, but also in your grace, in the mercy that you showed, that you would break in. I pray, Lord, our hearts would be aligned to you, that we'd be not relying on our wisdom, but on yours. We love you, Lord. We love that you love us. We thank you that you did not leave us alone. We thank you that you sent Jesus to show us the way back to you. We pray in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen. If you know that you need breakthrough, it starts with turning back to God. And we, as a church, want to be there for you in that. And so I'm going to ask um, some of the leaders to come up. And if you need prayer today, if you need to ask God to break in, come get prayer. We want to help facilitate that. We want to walk with you in that. We want to put our arms around you and love you through something like that. Because, again, it, it can be a little scary. It can be a little painful. But that's why God gives us the church, so that we can do this together. So if you do need prayer this morning, please come up. That uh, pretty much does it for today, but today is not done. Okay, so that does it for this morning, not today. Okay, we, of course, have 6 p.m. our candlelight service. If you are, uh, I believe the kids need to be back here at 5? I think it's 5. No? We don't need the kids? Oh, come whenever. <laughs> come on time. Yeah, yeah, come on time. Yeah, not come whenever. Come on time, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so please be here for a candlelight service. If you haven't invited anyone, please invite them. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be a holy time. It's going to be an amazing time. So have a good week, everybody. Will I pray?